What up, Misfits? Welcome to the third season of the Misfits podcast. We are here. We are still queer. Um, <laughs> thanks for keeping up with us thus far. Um, we're excited to dive back into this new season. What's new with you guys? What's chilling? What's what are y'all doing? Why are y'all thriving? Um, Hannah is here. If you'd like to say a quick what up. What up? <laughs> okay. Tonight, we actually have a very special guest, Matthew Wigmore, founder of 1TW, and hey. also alumni of Trinity, but affiliation, nothing there, no connection there. That's just where we're from. Um, thanks so much for joining us today. How are you? Oh, I'm really good. How are you? Great. Super excited for this. Yeah. Super excited. Um, so before we dive into the meat of this conversation, uh, one question we'd love to open each episode with is, would you consider yourself a fellow misfit? If so, how come? If not, that's totally cool. But why? Um, would I consider myself a misfit? Yes, absolutely. Um, because I believe boxes are for breaking. So <laughs> I guess like the definition of misfit is that you're like somehow a rebel or on the margins. Uh, yeah, I think that's like kind of true of my experience, but also true of the fact that um, I'm I'm here to live my life. I'm not here to live and have someone else's truly do it. So Aww. yeah, uh, and I guess yeah, I haven't like fully deserted um, a lot of parts of my life, um, even though. I uh, am a minority in them, whether it be the church, um, whether it be my alma mater. Um, yeah. So, and even like politically, I feel very much like every time I get excited about a party, I'm like, God damn it. I'm, I'm not sure <laughs> if I can say God damn it, but anyway. There we no, go. no, honestly, um, you're good. You're good. Okay. All right. I said, God damn it. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I would definitely consider myself a misfit. And like, has this been an ongoing thing? How long has this been for? A um, couple years now, or? Ooh, well, I mean, I've always been a misfit. Um, okay, like, I feel like it's yeah, one of the things that is kind of thrust upon you, and you just like uh, roll mm. with it. Like, yeah, I, I've always kind of like taken pride in um, uh, caring about my integrity more than fitting mm. in. I think that was probably mm, like, yes. yeah, just like the reality of being a weird kid. Um, but mm. yeah, so how long have I been a misfit for? Uh, yes. <laughs> I love that. I love what you said with, uh, I, I, I'd rather prioritize my integrity rather than try to fit in. Oh, oh, just preach. That just convicted me. Oh my goodness. You're welcome. <laughs> we love that. Well, we welcome you, Matthew, to the Misfits crew. Uh, we have a bunch of listeners who they themselves consider themselves to be misfits. And whether that be outcasts, wanderers, uh, nomads in the wilderness, whatever that might look like. We all come from a variety of backgrounds, and we are so excited to hear your story tonight. Super Great. excited. Great. Um, I guess I'll dive in with the first question, if you're ready for it. <laughs> oh, here we go. Okay. Here we go. Okay. So this is kind of related to the whole opening question of the Misfits, but um, when did the realization of your queer journey begin for you? And how did that unfold? What does that look like to you? Uh, well, I mean, um, like, I honestly do believe uh, in a God who is love. And I don't say that as, like, fluffy toughy. I think that right. um, if there's, like, one common theme throughout all scripture, it's that God is definitely love. And to mm. um, try to separate God from what we understand as love um, is silly and heretical. 
Um, mm. So yeah, I guess um, I would say that my queer journey began the day I was born because I was created by a loving God. I was created by love. Um, oh, yeah, uh, but the day I really realized I was gay. Grade six. Wow. Um, okay. I was at Safeway with my mom. Remember that days when we had Safeway, where it was like Safeway. Who is she? Ooh, uh, <laughs> Miss Safeway. <laughs> so stay away. Um, <laughs> so yeah, when was at Safeway with my mom, and we were on the magazine aisle, and I saw a Men's Fitness magazine, oh and gosh. I was ready to cream my jeans right there. Oh. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was like damn um interesting okay oh so, yeah so that was i remember realizing that day like that's what wow. that i was gay and it never like it, i feel like i was um it was kind of like a boulder rolling down a hill <laughs> okay, <laughs> so, like, then okay. after that point i was just like oh my goodness right um okay. and yeah so that's the day i realized i was um gay the realize the day my um, the day my parents realized um I was a gay was um grade eight um and I'm just gonna be really real uh they took my internet history so yeah yeah so yeah um freaking apple beating me to the punch so um yeah that's how they found out um and that kind of began a journey of like I obviously had a lot of shame at that point the words coming out of my 13 year old mouth were I didn't want to be gay because growing up in a small town in bumfuck nowhere in BC I uh, didn't (laughs) really know any other gay men yeah so yeah uh so that was that's when it started uh as in my parents knew and like I would I just knew that it was something like horrific and disgusting and I don't want it to be part of my life and so um yeah grade eight um was grade eight was actually fine it was grade nine when like the internet history searches occurred monthly uh and they all turned up positive um Mm. that my parents um suggested I speak to this therapist um who could help me with my homosexual feelings Oh and that was yeah the beginning of five years of conversion therapy oh my gosh uh, no mm, i didn't yeah. know that Matthew. you didn't know that oh girl. no oh my goodness so yeah so i was um i was dabbling in that through an organization called exodus which very infamously closed oh. doors in 2014 i so. had no i'm screaming i had no idea matthew oh my goodness girl yeah, Exodus, so that really, yeah, I know. So high school was weird because at high school itself, I like I was like thriving. Like we had a mm. great musical theater department, so obviously gated up there. Oh my gosh, um, we had a thespian and, in the building. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> um, they're like, who will we give this one male lead to? Oh, the only male in musical theater. Um, <laughs> so I came, <laughs> I came and grabbed those roles. Um, and then, and yeah, I mean, I absolutely love theater, um, mm-hmm. like not just for multiple reasons. And I still love it. I ended up doing my undergrad degree in theater. Um, and so, but youth group was an interesting one because I like youth group in church. I, there were parts of it I really enjoyed. Like I love music. I loved going to summer camp with my friends. I loved all these things, but there was very, so much of it was like very motivated by fear. Like I didn't want to go to hell and I didn't want to be a bad Christian. I didn't want to lose my friends. 
and I didn't want to piss off my family and yada, yada, yada. And so that was quite difficult. So that was kind of like one part of my life. And then my home life was also difficult because I didn't have a great relationship with my family. Like I was very much a black sheep from an early age. Um, and yeah, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to put two and two together and realize that conversion therapy is bad parenting. Um, what? So what? What? I had uh, no idea. <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, so that, yeah. So, and there were, I think conversion therapy, like the meta narrative of that with my parents was that uh, they really had a version of me that they wanted me to be and that just wasn't going to fly. So that was kind of like the three different parts of my life growing up at home, at church, at school. Um, But the church part, like I got, I was getting pretty fed up with um, church pretty quickly. Like I didn't like the politics. I didn't Mm. like the Mm self-righteousness. I didn't like the, uh, oh, like you have to listen to the youth pastor for this reason. Uh, like just like the lack of ability to think Um, Mm, and I was mm -hmm. quite academic from a young age so it was really important for me to be able to develop my own ideas so I always like even from the beginning before I was willing to accept my queerness I um, really struggled with like the capacity to think for myself that I felt in the church because I was in I was in fellowship Baptist you struggled like you wanted to ask more questions or you struggled because I wanted to ask more questions and I wanted to be able to think for myself. You know what I mean? So, and I didn't always feel like there was the space to do that. I felt like a lot of times the answers to like my really sincere objections or questions about things was, we'll just do it. And I was like, mm, yeah. girl, that's not going to work. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my journey um, at that point. When I was 16, I did the counselor and training program at Camp oh. Juanos, mm-hmm. um, so, which is a big evangelical summer camp on Vancouver Island. I think it's the second largest one in um, Canada. And this sounds like I'm here to name and shame, but it's just, it's true. I did go there and things did happen. Um, so yeah, uh, so I graduated high school when I was 17. And I went and did this one-year Bible college program through Camp Quanos called Kaleo. And at this point, like, I felt like I was, like, super hetero and, like, doing a super great job. Okay, Much so to my what, is that, what is that camp that you're talking about? Yeah. What is that? Oh, so, like, it's just, like it's a Bible camp, um, but, like, it is, like, all the kind of, like, typical bad things you hear about, um, like purity culture in the church were kind of there so like male and female were very segregated we had this like six inch rule uh, between men and women like women like it was all about don't cause men to stumble there was always the sex talk every Wednesday Mm -hmm. night and so yeah it was very much this like evangelical microcosm uh, <laughs> that okay. and like it's uh, it's almost like yeah you would go there and you would forget sex existed so it was like really easy to be straight because oh, um, we were like all yeah all cutting ourselves <laughs> off um so worked there for four summers um the first couple summers the stuff I heard about gay people because I think at that per- point I still hadn't actually met a gay person and I obviously didn't see myself oh, as gay okay like okay. I was like oh of course this makes sense I'm all about that hallelujah but <laughs> um when by the, my last summer like I had already done one year at Trinity I already did um I like had met multiple gay people I had done a lot of thinking about it for myself 
um, I had done this one-year seminary program through Trinity and Briarcrest. I mean, through oh, okay. Camp Honest and Briarcrest before I came to Trinity. And, like, that, that I, I was ready to, like, do away with the church. Nothing to do with my queerness, but that really, really frustrated me because I just found okay. it was even more narrow thinking. I felt like the way a lot of people treated each other. I'm like, I, I'm not, I'm like, I'm not here to be a part of the church. This is how we're going to treat each other. If we're just going to, like, come up with, like, cookie-cutter versions of people and, like, exclude everyone who doesn't fit into that. Um, and I was really skeptical about, like, um, just the way I was being taught how ministry worked, it seemed like we were coming in as saviors with this big us and them complex. And I was just like, no, I'm like, I'm, I'm here to be with people. And I'm like, and the gospel is like, Jesus is not quick to condemn. He's here to live life with people, not to excuse the times when he does condemn. And I'm like, and th- this, this just isn't working for me. So like, yeah, I come to Trinity. I have this like really tumultuous relationship with the church and with my faith. I'm still like pretty self-righteous about like uh, I'm succeeding at not being a gay person, and then I <laughs> meet <laughs> um, gay people. They become my friends. I saw this production um, at Pacific Theater called Leave of Absence, which was written by a woman named Lucia Frangioni, who I went on to take a course with. Mm-hmm. And it was this play about this uh, priest of a Catholic church in a small town in the middle of Canada, and uh, he uh, takes a leave of absence because there is a 14-year-old woman in his congregation who um, ends up being killed in a hate crime. And it completely oh, ruptures shit. his faith and ruptures his ideas of everything. So he takes his leave of absence. I just being remember being like extremely affected by that mm. and the reality of how queer people were being treated and the reality that... Mm. Um, what I had been told about queer people just was not really going to work for me anytime. Uh, like, yeah, so that happened. But that play I, was actually before my last summer at Camp Quanos. So I come to my last summer at Camp Quanos. I'm still like, oh, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to be okay. I think I'm going to be fine. As and in like, I think I'm going to be straight. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I'm like, oh, like it's like, I, I really just like pretended that these, conflicts inside me weren't existing which is actually right. a fairly normal experience like when yeah, you're 19 totally. years old and you're totally. suddenly coming to terms with your sexuality and mm-hmm. you've been raised a certain way like it's like you don't always want to confront it and yeah. i would say that that's been like pretty typical of the um younger queer people i have the privilege of meeting through one gw is yes. it's like some days um someone might want to be an activist but most days we're just trying to keep our heads above water right yeah. so yeah yeah, so came to my last summer at Camp Quanos, and it was funny because this talk had been given during our staff training week every summer I had worked there, and it was the talk on homosexuality. Like they called it Ooh. dealing with difficult. Yeah, it was. They called it dealing with difficult questions with okay. campers, but okay. it was ninety minutes of this fire and brimstone preacher just telling us how evil homosexuality was. So and, not even like handling questions. It's like we have all the answers. You don't need to exactly. ask any questions. It's like so. Let's go through the clobber passages and remind ourselves how big of heathens gay people are. It's like, right, right. And okay. and to be fair, like there were people there who I wouldn't necessarily say were like progressive sheroes that were really <laughs> struggling with like how everything was being worded. And the funny thing is, I had sat through that session three times before, but sitting through it that time made me want to vomit. And that was at staff training. So now I had to get through nine weeks of summer camp. 
Um, so the first few weeks, I kind of was like, yeah, I probably will come out of like next year, da 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 da. And remember, like through all these five years, like I'm still going through conversion therapy at this point. Like I'm still talking to this counselor over Skype once a week. And then Exodus closed its doors. Like Alan Chambers makes that big announcement. Yeah. He's like, we are doing more harm than good. There's the Lisa Lane, Our America documentary series, which is on the Oprah Winfrey channel. Of course, I remember that. Uh, on Exodus, and it's the first time that Exodus survivors on TV share their stories about, yes, this happened to us. This destroyed my family. This killed this person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like Exodus, there's no, there's no looking good for Exodus at that point. And that, I'm, I actually think that that was, I'm not here to over-spiritualize, but I actually think that that was a God moment because it gave me the permission and the evidence I needed to say, I have tried everything you've told me to not be queer and right. it's fucking people up and right. I'm like, I'm putting an end to it and I have every right to put an end to it. Yes. And so, yeah, so I came out to myself at that moment and then I right. had four more weeks of summer camp to get through. And then mm-hmm. I kind of started coming out to uh, like a few friends at Trinity after that. Um, it was kind of weird um, with my family because my parents at that moment were like, oh, yeah, like, we can't believe this horrible thing that happened. Da, 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 da. Like, we want to be your cheerleaders. I'm like, not so fast, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I mean- so I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, actually, I was quite angry with them. I didn't speak to them for a few months. Um, and and I think that kind of began like a fraught process to reconciliation because no one trains on how to re- do reconciliation. So you're re- reconciliation initiated by you or initiated well, by and your it, family well, that's, well, that's exactly the thing. Is it was like, <laughs> because the first words weren't sorry, I, it has made reconciliation for me difficult afterwards. Mm. I mean, like part of my journey afterwards has been, I have every right to be bitter. I have every right to be angry, but I also have a right to live a life without bitterness and anger. So what am I going to do? Yeah. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, it's been a lot of like um, taking the initiative myself to put in boundaries, but also remove myself from anger and bitterness so I can still enjoy parts of the relationship that I want to. Um, But yeah, that was objectively a very difficult time. And so then I come to Trinity, which I had started at Trinity thinking I'm going to be straight as hell. (laughs) beginning of my second year and I start coming out and I noticed a major shift in the way people treated me I would even say the best of my friends at that point who wanted to be good friends to me had again I'd never met a gay person never thought about the issue so Mm -hmm. as much as I think a lot of them attempt to be really good friends like they were still processing a lot of things and then at that moment as well Trinity was in the headlines and there was a lot of conversation on campus about religious freedom mm-hmm. and how poor Trinity is being treated and all that kind of stuff. And I think the culmination of all those experiences, like it, when um, the other co-founders of 1TW came to me with the idea, um, it kind of just fit really naturally, right? Mm-hmm. So at the end of my second year, one of the co-founders created a Facebook page called 1TWU and got the idea from the fact that they had attended a liberal arts school in the States called George Fox and that there was a one George Fox there. Mm, okay. And I think they felt at the very least, like, let's just create the Facebook page. 
Um, and Facebook like was a submissive, uh, subversive form of media back then. It's not anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, anymore. <laughs> and then the um, other co-founder had actually attempted to start um, a group for LGBTQIA2S plus people before that, but hadn't really had the support and for various reasons didn't work. So I actually tried to start that again under the banner 1TWU. This hmm, is all from okay. my perspective. So I would, yeah, I, I'm, they might have a, a bit of a different um, retelling of, of kind of how that went, but that's how I kind of remember it. And then that co-founder who started the meetings actually graduated halfway through that year. And so then I took over um, and co-led with a couple other students. And I guess kind of the big initiating thing we did as 1TWU was we brought um, Wendy Gritter, who's the director of Generous Space Ministries to campus. And we brought Justin Lee, who at that time was the founder of the Gay Christian Network, now called Q Christian Fellowship. To mm -hmm. campus, and those were both massive events. Just on these events, we had over a thousand people, and it was also like I think the first time that an out and open gay person had spoke on campus. And this is all right. happening in the middle of the fact that Trinity is trying to defend its indefensible uh, stance on queer people. Right. So I wanted to ask too, like, what's the yeah. atmosphere on campus at the time when let's it was, was it was speaking? split, right? There's still some people at this point who are like, well, three years ago at Trinity, we didn't even talk about this. Why can't we get back to that easy and convenient place? Mm -hmm. Then there were the people who uh, were quite combative and felt like very much that they needed to stick up for Trinity and that this was so wrong in the Bible. Mm -hmm. I would say then there were the people who were kind of well-meaning, <laughs> mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, but asked like questions that now I would just have no time for and right. then there were the people who were actually committed to journeying with the ideas themselves so that the burden wasn't just on queer people so that atmosphere because the campus was so new to this question and in my opinion it wasn't really being handled well on the administrative level there was no overall consultation about whether we even wanted a law school there was no overall um, programming on campus that attempted to identify that we can all call ourselves Christians, but we're going to disagree on things mm -hmm. at the end of the day, the administrative stance back then, which is still now, is we all have to get people to think and live the same way that their grandparents feel. And <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was a really tense atmosphere, but mm -hmm. I was still able to create a community with um, other queer people and other Christians, which I don't think in all the kind of different Christian spaces I've inhabited, I would be able to. Mm -hmm. I think Trinity is unique because it is both Christian, but also an educational atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And then also has a very, um, I just think the faculty there are amazing. And I think that the faculty there uh, have been put under a lot of pressure in the past, but the, but the faculty really strive to create safe spaces in the, in the classroom for disagreement, but also engagement with tough issues, even when it was inconvenient for them to do so, if that makes right. sense. And I've always said that allyship to me looks like standing up for queer people, even when it's inconvenient and uncomfortable. And for me, a lot of the faculty at Trinity did just that. So yeah, that was kind of like the first big thing with 1TW. But then I graduated in 2015 and then like the law school stuff heated up in 2016 and 2017. Yeah. And that's really around the time where our online community really grew. Mm -hmm. It's the time where our um, confidential campus meetings um, through different campus leaders really grew. 
And that's kind of seen us through today, which is an organization that, um, and it's now a nonprofit, that Mm -hmm. uh, seeks to uh, empower and build community between queer students and alumni and their allies. Uh, And it's been like really cool for me to see just how many people in the community of Langley uh, have supported us as a group. So yeah, that's my story, or at least the parts I've remembered of it. That's kind of how things have come with one to debut. And yeah. Beautiful. Um, Matthew, you mentioned, yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah, of um, course. That that story. Um, You mentioned that um, you struggled with um, a lot of, a lot in your, um, teenage years um mm-hmm. my next question is how did you encourage yourself in those times i know i mean yeah i mean yeah how did you encourage yourself in those times and how did you manage to tell yourself that it's gonna be okay even when it's really crappy right <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is when I was a teenager, like I was still so much like subscribing to that evangelical umbrella that I was like, mm-hmm, the Lord is mm-hmm. my strength. It's all okay. You know what yeah, I mean? right, but what right. I didn't know is like, as I became a young adult, is that by doing that, I was just hiding the fact that there were a lot of things I was struggling with and a lot of things that I didn't feel were okay. So I would say that what I ended up taking solace in was instead of just saying the Lord is my strength and forgetting about it, saying the Lord is my peace. And in that peace, I can ask questions. I don't have to have my mind made up about everything. And at the end of the day, I am, I'm loved. Right. So like that, I mean, don't get me wrong. It wasn't just like I switched off one and turned on the other, but that was, I think what's ended up getting me through. And I mean, even living in a pandemic now, which I found very difficult, I live alone, I was unemployed for six months at the beginning of it, like Mm -hmm. that kind of sense that I don't have to have it all figured out right now. It's not going to my plan. There is still something on the other side of this. I I think that, that that has really helped me not to say that I'm perfect at it or it hasn't been difficult at times. That's, I, I think... I love that because it also grants you space when you say the Lord is your peace again, like not to over spiritualize this because we do have a variety of listeners Mm -hmm. um, that tune into the podcast, but that grants you space to, to ask questions and have peace even in the doubts, (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, we're not usually granted that safe space to even ask questions sometimes well, in an evangelical context. Totally. And I think I should be really clear as well. Like when I talk about the Lord or God, like yes. knowing the variety of listeners, like I have a fraught relationship with calling myself a Christian. And mm-hmm. when I talk about the Lord or God, I'm not talking about a man up in the sky. I'm talking about that kind of like sense that you have that there is something greater than you, right? Mm. I remember mm. um, on Super Soul Sunday, which I loved. I love Oprah. Uh, she's a bit problematic, <laughs> but I love Oprah. Uh, I'm super. <laughs> we love Oprah here. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. This is an Oprah positive space. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> I remember in her episode where she interviewed Rob Bell, who was like the church's mm. favorite heretic in 2013. Um, <laughs> totally. It, she's like, um, what's God to you? And she asked that to everyone and he was like some days god is going surfing with my son and seeing a dolphin and i was like yes like i not that i've had that experience like if i surf i feel like i'm bound for hell but um (laughs) but yeah that kind of sense that actually god doesn't have to be a person and limiting it to personified qualities Mm -hmm. um 
it is just doesn't really work but actually like saying taking account of your experience right here in this moment and saying what about it feels bigger than you i attribute that to god right mm, interesting. um yeah. and so as a result i have a lot of friends who are agnostic and i'm able to talk openly about like spiritual stuff with them and it's all really cool i would say my friends who are kind of more on the atheist side of things which is like there is no higher power whatsoever i can always have a respectful Mm -hmm. dialogue Mm -hmm. um and my friends who are atheists i would say that um they know not to cross the uh well isn't it kind of stupid that you just believe in something for nothing line with me because i mean that's not a respectful Mm -hmm. way to engage with anyone and Mm -hmm. in my experience most of the people who don't necessarily believe there's a higher power at the end of the day um have at least the consideration and sensitivity to engage with someone who might believe that at the end of the day so yeah that's kind of where i found myself and i mean i went to i did my master's degree at a university which i don't really know what it is percentage wise but i mean it it was a very liberal university and i agreed with a lot of stuff there but it wasn't Mm -hmm. like there were most of my students i would probably say weren't people of faith Mm-hmm. Um, and I say people of faith, meaning lots of faith. And mm-hmm. I, I rarely found myself in like any sort of big disagreement with anyone. So, mm. Right. And that like, just as you were speaking, that brought up the question in my mind too, with, um, now that you're here, right. Um, mm-hmm. we're, I don't know if you, any of you have read the, the, the miracles book with Sarah Bessie, but she mentions like before and after this mm-hmm. idea, because you know, Christians love dichotomies apparently, but anyways, <laughs> it works in this context. So now that you're in this, this sort of after space, how, how do you reconcile, you know, growing up in an evangelical faith, um, respecting these conversations or these spaces of dialogue without having to, you know, shove your faith down people's throats and just having dialogue with people, respectful well, dialogue and space with people, including yeah, I mean, your, your, your queerness. Well, exactly. And I like the thing is because I'm because of how I've described what I believe God is to you and because I believe that like if I do have a mission, it's to just love people the best way I know how Mm -hmm. and to actually live in community with people who I might not otherwise, like I'm a really bad evangelist because if I go and tell (laughs) someone about my faith and they're like, I disagree. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. You know what I mean? (laughs) 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 um, And like, I personally have a fraught relationship with calling myself a Christian. Like they're Mm. like, I, I, I keep using this quote and I keep forgetting who says it. I think it's C.S. Lewis who says, tell me what you think a Christian is and I'll tell you if I am one or not. Mm -hmm. And I just like, I totally believe that. I'm like, if you think a Christian is a Trump supporter, no, I'm not a Christian. Right. Hands down, you know? Um, So yeah, it's in terms of your question, like I'm respectful to my history and the parts of me that are still there. But at the same time, I'm quite real about like what, what I where I am now, who I think I'm becoming, and and all those all those things. Mm-hmm. Does that mm-hmm. answer what you asked? Yeah, no, totally. Okay, Which cool. actually leads perfectly to kind of one of the final thoughts that I've had with mm-hmm. you know knowing your journey or just you know just a little bit of the the surface of your journey because we don't want to give too much to the listeners. <laughs> but you sharing your story and and how it's progressed where you are now in this after space. Um, 
how how do you respond to people now that you know when once they see you realize that you're uh, a person that's part of the queer community and let's say they express a negative opinion uh, about you how does that differ how is your response now differ to how say you would have responded when you were younger or when you were a teenager yeah so interesting when I was a teenager I just would have probably shut down and been like what are you talking about I think five years ago, I probably would have gone on the big defense and tried to um, like name it and claim it. And I think there are spaces where that's acceptable. Whereas like who I am now, I'm like, excuse me, I've given you no authority to speak that into that part of my life. Mm -hmm. That's not happening Mm -hmm. today. You know what I mean? Like, I think the best thing we can do for ourselves as people and as queer people is reserve the opinions we care about for the people who care about us. And so like as someone, whether it's, about my queerness, whether it's about where I am in my life, whether it's about anything, I'm like, uh, you're not allowed to do that unless you have a relationship with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. I love that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for just sharing. I know this is super quick, but just sharing your story and, and being courageous enough to share your story with all that you've been through, even the stuff that completely threw me aside and I didn't realize that that was part of your story. Just Wow. wow. Just you as a person. Wow. <laughs> oh, thank you, Sarah. That's so kind. <laughs> oh my goodness, Matthew. Yeah. Pop off with how you're existing and just you as an individual. My goodness. I really appreciate that because like I don't want anyone to think of, oh my God, like Matthew's so put together. Because I'm not. Like there are some days mm-hmm. where I don't sleep well, where I drink too much, where um, you know, <laughs> I say and think things that I'm not proud of. But it's just the fact that, yeah, uh, I think we're all on a slow slide at the moment. Mm. And we're in a panorama. So a Patricia, a Patricia <laughs> in a Panago pizza. So a I, mean, I was about to say a Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for, for tuning in. Um, everyone that's listening. Um, there's also a, can I announce this, Matthew? There's a new one TW website. Yes, that's now live. Com. Oh, .com. Dot .com, not .ca, .com. No, no ma'am, .com. There you go. It's com. so that's live now. Um, there's also 1TW on Instagram, so check them out there. Um, I'm just going to interrupt you. Uh, Instagram, yes. we're official1TW, so official. it's at, okay. yeah, at official1TW. There you go. And then Matthew also has his personal, if you guys ever feel like connecting with him there, if he has space for you, if he welcomes you in then perfect if not so sorry (laughs) (laughs) i probably will i mean i haven't restricted my account yet so you can join my all of 600 followers (laughs) i am one of them so (laughs) (laughs) there you go um again thank you so much for joining us matthew i hope this has been a good space for you (laughs) it's been a great space i feel bad that we haven't talked about beyonce yet i feel like that's disrespectful but oh oh my goodness um so that's a special (laughs) episode we're gonna do um untucked backstage with the misfits i'm joking yes maybe a side podcast idea Yeah, there we just go. Don't call me arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, so again, thanks so much for tuning in, Misfits. Um, welcome to season three. This is Matthew Moore of One TW, and we hope you have a rest of a, a great day, rest of the night, whatever it might be. <laughs> um, all right, peace. Bye. <laughs> Bye.